creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. My name is Andy J. Pizza. I am your host. Uh, Today on the show, it's kind of like Creative Pep Talk Unplugged. Remember that? Like back in the day, Nirvana Unplugged. Man, best Nirvana album in my opinion. Is that controversial? I don't know. I don't know Nirvana fans or what have you. But today we're going to talk about how do you have fans like Nirvana had? How do you have people that really are invested and care about what you do? You know, I just feel often like you feel like you've got some magic beans on your hands as a creator, but everyone else just thinks it's, you know, they don't feel as passionate about the dog in that Bush's baked beans commercial. They're not wanting to roll that beautiful bean footage they're not even watching your reels or tiktoks or your instagram posts like they're like keep your beans to yourself today we're going to talk about what do you do with that big pile of beans what do you do with that magic that you feel inside and that you feel is in your work how do you actually make it so that anybody else cares about it we're going to talk about that by answering two different questions that are kind of related in a special edition of uh Ask Dr. Pizza Unplugged. I, I, I don't know if that's really true. It's a Q&A episode, but um, I'm really pumped about uh, where these uh, questions went and um, some of the answers that we explore. But first, a little word from our sponsors. So we got our first factor meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef crafted dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how factor meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low calorie. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. pizza a fellow neurodivergent adhd creative here and i have a question about series so i desperately want to make a series i have about three different ideas in my mind about series that i want to do and i'm really excited by them but i struggle to maintain the gusto uh, or even the grit to do another piece after I've made one 
for the quote unquote series. And so I'm making, I am a collage artist and I'm making all these random one-off pieces that don't necessarily connect to each other in any way, which is fine and great. But I want to make a series, but by the time I finish one, I'm like totally bored by it and I don't want to do it anymore. And I guess I'm just looking for maybe some tips or suggestions on how to maintain the energy to want to do a series or the interest level because with ADHD, as you know, it's just like once I'm done, I'm done. And I, it's not interesting anymore. The super sparkly shiny is gone. So please help me make a series because I really want to do one. I have several in the bank. I just can't keep it going. Okay, so there's two things that I want to respond with on when you want to do a series, but you're not able to create more than one piece of work. There's kind of two different things that may be at play that may help you. The first one is, you know, we're going to talk about the medium of your choice when it comes to a creative idea. Like, how do you express a thing? You know, most creators have multiple ways to express things. For me, you know, I have very distinct different ones. So it could be a kid's book. It could be a podcast. It could be uh, an Instagram post, all these different things. And we're going to talk about the different mediums and how to think about what the idea wants to be. And then the second thing we're going to talk about is motivation style. So if you're losing motivation, it there might be some insight in understanding your particular motivation style, especially as someone with ADHD. Okay, so there's two kind of pieces. The first piece is this idea of cups. We've talked about this on the show before, but it's one that, it's an idea that I'm revisiting all the time and I'm always finding new pieces to. One of the pieces that I recently ran into was in discussing a possible book project with an editor at a publisher. She told me, she's like, you know, sometimes when she gets pitched a book and it's a series of photography or it's a, it's a series of um, essays or, or what have you, she has to decide, like, does this content fit into the cup that is a book, the container that is a book? Because I was saying, hey, I've, you know, I've tried to explore this thing on the podcast or I've done a podcast series about that. And she was like, okay, well, let's first just talk about why this needs to be executed in a book format when it's already been in the cup of a podcast. You know, I think a lot of times when it comes to our creative work, we think that the, if you think about it like a wine in a wine glass, we think that the wine glass is the creative essence. You know, we think of a the things that we create. Let's say we create paintings. Let's say we create songs. Let's say we create podcasts. We create books, whatever it is. We see ourselves as the defined by those pieces of work and how they are manifested the what of what we make. Like, what do you make? I make picture books. I'm a picture book maker. But the truth is, there's something deeper than that. All of those things, books, podcasts, songs, 
those are all containers for different creative urges or creative impulses or ideas. You know, when you're writing a song, there's a lot of different creative things happening there. There is the urge to communicate. So, you know, before you're a songwriter, you're a communicator. There, maybe you're a storyteller before you're a kid's book maker or a songwriter. Like you could, what is the deeper thing happening? And I think it's interesting even as a topic of like people that approach songs completely differently. Like Bob Dylan is not the same thing as let's say Drake, okay? <laughs> Which is a funny comparison, but it's true. Like what Drake does is a completely different thing. Same cup, technically, a song, same glass, but what they're pouring into that glass is dramatically different. And I think it's important to identify more with the approach than the container. And then you can do interesting things. And the reason I bring this up is because it sounds like there's a mismatch to your approach and your container. That's my first guess is that when you feel incredibly enthusiastic about an idea, it feels so important and so massive to you that you feel like it must manifest through the lens of multiple pieces, a body of work. Whereas when you go execute that one piece of work, it feels like, oh, there, there it is. That, that I didn't need to be that. And I've heard uh, Liz Gilbert talk about like uh, the author of Eat, Pray, Love and, and Big Magic, how you have to find out what does the idea want to be? Like it has its own will and desires. And I think she even recommends like, what's the smallest thing you could make with that? And then once you make it, just ask the idea like, is that good enough? Like, did you, and, and in the next question, I'm going to talk even more about this idea that this huge passion that you have, the whole idea of art is that you would filter it and channel it and craft it and work it into something much smaller and much more potent, like an espresso. And so you feel like, look, we just, I, you're looking at the coffee beans, Right. And you're, you're like, man, look at these. They're, 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 there's a whole pile of coffee beans here. But when you, but your job as the artist is to grind those beans, get them down to this fine concentrate. And that huge passion that you have, which feels like a series in size, by the time you serve it, it's, it's just one piece of work. It's just one little tiny super potent thing. That is the creative process. We're going to talk about that in, the, in chapter three, um, the last piece. But- um, that might be what's going on is that you're, uh, the execution, the passion feels so big that you're like, it has to be, it has to equal the size of the output when in fact, that's not the case. The job is to filter it down, concentrate it because the people, uh, that are interacting with this need that thing to be accessible. They need it to be digestible. They need it to be able to be consumed quickly so that they understand like what you're on about without just giving you all of their extra time. Like we don't, we're not entitled to people's time to pay attention to our 
eccentric interests. You know what I mean? That's why we filter this thing down. But the first thing might be your the cup, the 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 wine and the wine glass aren't fitting. The beans to the espresso, there's kind of a, a lost in translation there. So maybe it just doesn't need to be series. Like why are you putting uh, the need for this to be a series? Is it just because it feels so big to you? Well, just understand that, that the whole idea is to get it down to a fine concentrate. But the other thing I want to add, just on this topic of cups while we're here, I want to just mention that I think a lot about how the, the wine and the wine glass are fit together. And if you've ever drank wine out of a different, like a coffee mug, there are scenarios where that can be awful, that mismatch, but there are also scenarios where it can be incredible because there's this thing where you have a, you know, solo, a red solo cup full of wine and you're drinking it on the rooftop of an old church and all of a sudden the mismatch creates a scenario where it's a memory you'll never forget in your life because it was so peculiar. And so I would say, I just want to highlight, and then this segues into the second thing I want to say, I just want to highlight that the mismatch can be on purpose and can be really interesting. You know, the idea that Bob Dylan would tell these giant stories through the lens of a song is a kind of mismatch wine and mug scenario because songs aren't the first place storytellers usually go. But that has to do with, you know, maybe you know guitar and you're not as great writing prose or or you don't want to draw pictures for picture books or whatever whatever that might be. You know, there's really interesting things that can happen. Like I feel like I shoehorn a lot of different particular uh, approaches to creativity that are uncommon in the kind of circles where I do talks at conferences and schools, et cetera. I'm bringing a lot of different tools and, and intents to that cup that uh, are a mismatch fit. But then if you do it intentionally, if you know I'm breaking the expectations, you can do so without it being a negative sort of surprise. And that also goes into this idea of the mismatch. Uh, there might be a rebellious spirit to your approach as an ADHD creator, but also in, into how you want people to feel about your work. Maybe the type of work you like to consume is kind of like drinking out of a fire hose. You know, as an ADHD person myself who is always in need of extreme stimulation, you might see me out there taking a handful of Altoids and eating them all at once. Like, that's, that's how I get down because I need that punch in the face to get that dopamine surge, you know? Like, I like that kind of thing. And I like art like that, maximalist stuff sometimes that just smashes you over the head with it. Fast-paced, intense, loud, weird, grating, all these different things, like... I like a, uh, a lot of maximalist stuff for that reason. And so maybe you're this, just the type of creator that wants to mismatch in the, in the way of, look, this should be a series, but I'm boiling it down to one piece of incredibly intense work that assaults the senses, right? Like that might be your style and that's cool too. And on this topic of being a rebel, I find that 
uh, well, I don't just find this. I've I've learned and I've read about how, especially in in kids, ADHD can often go hand in hand and be comorbid with oppositional defiant disorder, ODD. And that's just this thing of if you tell me to do this, I'm going to do the opposite. Except we have this as a kind of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde scenario, just as often as we're trying to rebel against others, we're trying to rebel against the part of us that's trying to control us. And so as soon as you say, I'm going to do this every week, or I'm going to turn this into a series, all of a sudden your, your inner rebel is like, no, you're not. You can't tell me what to do. And so there's this kind of thing that happens. One thing I would recommend is checking out The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin and understanding how your motivation works because we're all motivated by different things. Uh, Just a quick little rundown. There's four tendencies. There's upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. Upholders are the people that want to meet all the expectations and they want to meet their internal expectations and their external expectations of others and they want to do everything by the book. Questioners, which I I would probably put myself in this category, are people who are like, I just need to know why. Why are we doing this? I am not going to meet your external expectations if they don't meet my own internal expectations. And the best way I think about this is if it comes to learning an instrument, if I was ever learning guitar and you told me, hey, we need to learn these three chords, I'd be like, why? Why are we doing this? I can't just do it because you told me to. I need to know what is my motivation. And if it's like, hey, I wanted to learn this um, song by Neutral Milk Hotel, so I need to learn these four chords, and now I understand. So I'm going to question until I understand what's the purpose of that. Once I understand the why, I can withstand almost any how. That's a Nietzsche quote. Obligers are people that can't meet their own internal expectations, Like uh, uh, them giving themselves a rule and saying, hey, I'm going to do this personal project every single week isn't enough. They need somebody else, a partner, a studio mate, someone in on it with them that is going to hold them accountable. They need some kind of external expectation. It's the kind of person that says, hey, I'm going to sign up for this fitness class and where you have to pay in advance for six months. And the fact that I've paid and you know I'm going there means I have this external obligation that's going to get me moving. And then last but not least is rebel. And they are people that are driven by doing the opposite of the external and internal expectations. And I feel like a lot of creators and a lot of ADHD people fit into this category. And I think what is really helpful is to remember like, there are different ways to approach uh, this kind of motivation than saying, this is a rule, you have to do this. And it might mean for you looking at like, when you think, hey, this might be a series, you tell your internal self, like, let's see how it feels. Let's do one, just like Liz Gilbert talked about, and just say, okay, idea. And And instead of letting yourself determine it, or letting an external expectation determine it, give all the power over the idea. You might be that type of creator that needs to give the idea the full license and say, uh, maybe I suspect it's going to be a series, but look, I won't know until I've made it. And we'll just see. We'll just see after I do it. And even 
uh, if you approach the last pieces that way, you might have been able to turn them into a series because that rebellious spirit wasn't invoked to, uh, you know, push against the internal external expectations. And I've even heard uh, Marie Forleo, who is in the business space, talk about this interesting idea that there is research into if you say I should or I can't do those things, you are less likely to follow through than if you say I don't. And the, the example is something like I, I can't eat that chocolate cake um, because it's a weekday and I can't eat chocolate cake on a weekday because that's a rule that I set for myself. Instead of saying I don't, I don't eat chocolate cake on a weekday. I've even found if I just change that language in my head, I don't, I'm less likely to invoke that rebel spirit that says, you can't tell me what to do. I eat chocolate cake whenever I want it, right? Like, I don't know why, but I have some of that going for me too. And so I have to be like, I do or don't do these things. Like I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just doing it or I, I, I'm not doing it, but not I can't or I shouldn't. Those things invoke that spirit. So as you're going about it, I think it really just comes down to understanding how do the inner mechanisms of your motivation and decisions work, which will also mean diving deep into the neurodivergent brain of an ADHD person and understanding the particulars because it's a negotiation. And I think part of that is uh, it is that Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing and realizing that Mr. Hyde isn't all bad, that part of you that wants to rebel it just, you just need to respect it. It, it. It's It's got, if you will trust that it's good and be curious about it, you might find like that it's meeting a need or it's protecting something. Like question it and understand it and learn it. And it's just kind of like a kid actually too. You got to learn how do you parent this part of you um, into it's doing things in its best interest. And don't always assume you know. Uh, maybe, maybe it was not right to do a series in the first place, just like all the other options we talked about. Um, I think you got to respect that part of yourself. Hi, Andy. My name is Maria. I'm based in Surrey. I've been practicing drawing and creating vector illustrations for the past few months, which started from watching your Skillshare classes on style and has helped me so much. Since then, I've started to create a style and have been practicing a lot, but feel lost on what I want to create and find meaning behind what I do. This is something that I think might progress to gain freelance work in the future, but at the moment I want to create for myself and see where it takes me. My question is, what is the best way to figure out what to create? Thanks so much. The most important place to spend your best creative energy when it comes to understanding what do I want to make next? What should I make next? It's a big question. It's one that we all suffer and struggle with at some point. You know, there's nothing worse than getting halfway through a piece of creative work and feel like that nagging editor in your mind is like, this is a waste of time. This isn't even what you should be making. And I think the way to silence that voice throughout the process, which is essential because you don't want that side of your brain showing up. It isn't the creative, playful side of your brain. The way to silence that voice is to get 
uh, really good at prompting your creativity in such a way that you can trust before you ever put the pen to the page or the paintbrush to the canvas or the fingers on the keys, you know what I mean? Whatever that might be, a keyboard or a piano. Um, doing the work up front to know that you are approaching it with the kind of confidence that you are spending your time wisely, that you're spending it the best way that you know how. And this comes into what I believe is a hidden creative problem, a piece in the creative process that is essential that goes before almost all the creative pieces to the process and steps that you're familiar with. And that comes down to writing your own creative prompt. One thing that I'm deeply fascinated by is this notion of how does a musician know what the next album is about? How do they know what it's going to feel like? How do they know what the, you know, the shift in persona or public facing image is? Like that hypothesis, that bet that they make, often it happens in a kind of haphazard way, whereas a lot of creators that learn to do this well do it intentionally. You know, I remember hearing about Solange Knowles' latest album and how she approaches albums with her producers and writers and, and collaborators and that she gets really meticulous about the research phase, the mood board building. You know, most, uh, and, and interestingly enough, most of the mood board is visual, which is great because you're pulling, you know, for me personally, I love creating a playlist. If I'm going to do a bigger project, if I'm going to do a, a, a book or if I'm going to do a podcast series, I might create a playlist of songs that are like, this is how I want it to feel. I think creating mood boards outside of your medium can be really interesting and really powerful. But the whole idea here is that before you ever put your creative utensil to the canvas, there is a whole bigger creative opportunity before that happens. And it is the prompt. It's what am I going to paint? What am I going to draw? And that prompt, if you will realize, I think the first shift that happens is if you will realize that the question of what will I make next is the biggest creative problem to solve and can be the most fun. It's so essential that you should be spending half of your time on it. It's that whole notion of, you know, uh, it's like a George Washington legend or, or something like that it might be Abraham Lincoln. I don't know. I don't think it's true regardless, but it's this idea of like, okay, you've got an hour to cut down this tree. How do you spend your time? You know, you spend the first 50 minutes sharpening the ax. That is writing your creative prompt, knowing that choosing the right thing to paint, choosing the way I'm going to approach it, choosing the creative problem I'm going to solve is in itself the biggest creative problem to solve. And it is the essential thing because it's the direction of your creativity. Now, I think it's important to also understand that there's a lot of different ways into this, depending on the type of creator you are. As you hear me talk about this, you're probably going to feel like you instantly fall into one of these categories, but I would just urge you to approach this cautiously, uh, uh, 
approach this with the creative mind, which is the open mind. It's called openness to experience. That's that's the creator mindset. And that comes from not prejudging or making snap judgments. And um, as I go into these two different ways of finding your direction in a piece, um, just be aware that uh, two things. One, Epictetus quote, one of my all-time favorites is, you can't learn what you think you already know. So you won't actually know which of these types is yours until you've really tried it, until you've allowed yourself to say, I don't know, and I'm going to explore both. And I want to share that if you would have asked me which of these types I was, I would have said the opposite of what I believe myself to be now 10 years ago. And the way that I work now gets the best results that I've ever had in my creative work. And I'm so glad that I wasn't too quick to jump to it. Anyway, sorry for burying the lead. You're probably like, what are the things? They're too abstract. I don't even know what you're talking about. Let me tell you. Okay, two ideas. We've, uh, We've talked about this framework a bunch on the show, but I think it's really powerful. It's either plotters or pantsers when it comes to creative output. So plotters are the people that approach creativity almost like a problem to solve, like a puzzle. That's its own type of creativity. And then there are are pantsers, which I think are really thought of as more creative or kind of how we think creativity works. So plotters are people that, uh, this is a writing term, so I'm going to come back to it. I I left that uh, open, realized I need to just set it up a little bit clearer. So plotters are the people that outline the entire book. They, you know, they outline every scene, they outline every chapter, they know exactly where everything goes before they start writing. And once they start writing, it's really just filling in the gaps. It's not even like the creative energy goes into the crazy story circle map where everything lines up and everything fits together and all the pieces come together. Like that is where the creative energy really starts really exists. And then once you're writing, it's almost just like filling in the gaps. That's a plotter. A pantser is someone who just sits down at the blank page and starts writing, baby, right? They just let the story take them where it wants them to go. And there's good things to both sides, right? Like the plotter means that you rarely get a scenario where the final episode of the series is a huge letdown because you... You know, you didn't know where it was going. You planned it and you reverse engineered uh, from the end all the way back to the start. And that can be deeply satisfying. Um, But the downside of a plotter is sometimes it can feel a bit too stuffy. Sometimes it can feel a little bit too mechanical. Sometimes when you're um, elaborately setting up the dominoes to knock down this big thing at the end, the buildup is kind of boring because you're or, or expected because you've spent so much time of saying we have to get here at the end that you're having to force a bunch of stuff at the start. And that can be kind of stale or boring or expected. On the flip side, the pantser can get themselves into a lot of trouble. There's obvious downsides, but they can discover things that the plotter never would because they're just open to it taking them places that they never dreamt of. And that can be extremely exciting. Now, I always feel like the best example of uh, both, which I recommend every creator try both for different pieces of work and then find the equation and the percent that works for you. 
I would say at this point, I'm probably like a 75% plotter, 25% pantser. And I used to think of myself as much more improvisational, much more intuitive. I used to probably have that equation flipped. But after, you know, 15 years of a professional practice, I've learned that I actually, I can fall off the horse on the side of the plotting. Like I have to make room to make mistakes and explore and and try things because if I don't, it'll just be a little bit too stale and I won't, I'll miss opportunities um, to do unexpected things. And so my favorite example, which I've mentioned a few times on the show, but I just think it's too good not to mention is uh, Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm. They really found the really interesting groove where they have the outline in the scenes of an episode. They know the three-act structure. They know how it needs to come together, but they don't have a script. So they just say, hey, okay, here's the scene. Here's where we have to get to by the end of it for it to work within the greater framework. Go and just let and have fun. And so they're exploring within these little buckets. It's a really great mixture and it has a lot of life and feels really alive and funny, interesting things happen in a scene that wouldn't have happened if they were all on a page and all predetermined. Um, but ultimately every episode of Curb also has that deeply satisfying ending where it all comes together, even if you know where it's going uh, from the start. And so the reason I bring up that is I think it's really important to know which one you lean towards because that is where you will find your creative prompt. So if you are a pantser, you're going to find your direction as you go. As you, and, and by the way, I just want to say, I, I just have a feeling that most creators start out thinking they're pantsers because it's easier, because it sounds more fun. But I would just recommend no matter what you do, whether it's music, whether it's you know writing, whether it's drawing, I would recommend you would learn ideas, processes, find prompts that um, give you some plotter energy because it's really important to test your preconceptions of who you are. If you are a pantser, you're going to be a, a guitar, you're going to be a songwriter that picks up the guitar and finds a song as you go along. And this is like Alex G. Okay, Alex G, uh, one of my favorite indie musicians right now, uh, endlessly fascinating as a creator. And a big part of that is because he doesn't know what he's writing about. (laughs) If you go listen to all his interviews, he's purely taste-driven. He plays music, says lyrics, And the only determining factor on whether they make it into a song and make it onto the album is if they make him feel something. And so this particular collage of words made him have an emotional response and he trusts that. It doesn't mean it's not about anything. If he's feeling stuff, it's probably about something, whether he knows what the topic is or not. I call this Ouija board creativity. Uh, I actually saw a TikTok um, recently where I heard John Mayer also uses that term, but it's just this idea that you just let the paintbrush find something for you. And if you are of that nature, then the prompt is all you need to know is say the prompt is to get the pencil to the page and start moving it around and thinking with your hands. But if you are a pants or if you're a plotter, you need to spend more time up front. And this is, you know, Taylor Swift is a really famous songwriting 
plotter because she is meticulously laying down all these Easter eggs in advance, albums in advance, you know, all these full circle moments, all this kind of stuff. Um, a lot of people like, um, a lot of comics do this. James Acaster is an incredible plotter because he has these four part uh, stand up specials that come full circle and they come, every circle is closed within uh, every joke. But I think it's important to have a sense of what you are. I think it's important to try both and find a healthy mixture of both, even if you prefer one or the other. And the CTA, the call to adventure, the quick win, the thing you can do right now to put this stuff to work is I'm going to give you a creative prompt that I think is almost always a powerful one. And it is 10 times the time. That's what we're going to call it. And it's about, you know, what do you have that is burning within you that you're like, this has to be a thing. This is your big pile of coffee beans that we're going to turn into creative espresso. And the idea is here that you have to have something that you feel like no one will pay attention to. Something that's on your mind, something you want to talk about that people get bored with. Yeah, people are bored with a big pile of beans, okay? You got to boil them down. And that's the creative prompt. Take something that is burning within you that nobody's listening you have a heart full of passion, a head full of thoughts, hand full of paint held in your coffee cup. Dang it, man, I drank the paint water again. It's easy to mix up. But seriously, what is the thing that is burning within you that nobody seems to care about as much as you? That is your creative prompt. That is your pile of beans. How can you use your creative knowledge and skill set not to be the why? You're not a book creator. You are a communicator. You're not a songwriter. You're trying to transfer a feeling into somebody else. That's the part that's actually romantic. Take that thing that is burning within you and figure out how am I going to grind this down and cook this thing so that it is such a fine concentrate that people will listen and pay attention to this thing. I just did a talk on Friday, 25-minute talk. I can guarantee you that I've at least put 250 hours into that talk over the years. Um, and the reason is, is because it is me trying to explain my pain and, and um, in life and experience with living with ADHD. And I gave that talk on Friday and it was the most satisfying creative moment of my life. And I'm not, I don't, I'm not exaggerating. And it's because I took my life, you know, my whole life, this 25,000 hours, I don't know, I don't know how many hours it is. Um, and I, and the 250 hours I worked on this story and talk and, you know, I've, I've workshopped it and done it a bunch of different ways, but this is the, a, a, a version that is particular about ADHD. And I took that 250 hours of work and put it into a 25 minute talk. And I had this feeling of like, that's the way that creativity feels like a gift, is that you spent 250 hours in your room cutting, pasting, gluing, wrapping that present up so that it in a two-minute period that they unwrap it, it is this incredible moment and gift. That's the whole idea of taking the beans and turning it into espresso. And so 
for me personally, I want to do that with ADHD. Same thing happened to me with my project called Invisible Things. This was stuff that I was working on for a decade and kind of just dripping into my work in intuitive ways. And at some point I was like, I'm angry that nobody's even seeing what's cool about this. I'm just going to create something that just boils it down to a fine concentrate. And I made this little uh, poster with all the characters, named it something that made it really clear, really potent, like this is what this is and this is what's cool about it. And I posted it thinking, uh, no one's going to care about this because they never have. But when I put the time into boil it down, uh, all of a sudden it resonates. And the same goes for, I have these feelings about symbolism, dream symbolism. As soon as I say that, everyone just shut off because you're like, I hate hearing people talk about dreams, you know, but I love dreams and I, you know, I've got sick over the years of having this dream. It feels so meaningful and then go to want to tell somebody and they're like, oh my God, please do not tell me your dream. But I get it. I feel that way most of the time when people want to share their dreams. And so how do you take... Maybe you take your dream that you know was so meaningful and turn it into a painting. Um, but I want to do like a, a whole episode on dream symbolism because I've, and how it relates to illustration and image making and, and what we're doing in the world as creators. And I'm going to take the hundreds of hours of podcasts that I've listened to and the hundreds of hours of time that I've thought about this topic and I'm going to boil it down into one episode of the show. So stay tuned for that. But that's your job. Your job is to take 10 times the time creating a piece than how much it takes to consume it. And so take the thing that you have given your life to paying attention to and then create something that turns it into a fine concentrate. Create a piece of work create a, a podcast episode, create a book that takes this thing and it makes this potent espresso so that people will pay attention to it. That impulse, that inner drive to be like, I want people to experience this thing that I love. That is an incredible prompt. And so that's your CTA today um, to figure out what is that thing that is burning within me and then start the process of looking into how do you use your creative skill set to make something with that pile of beans. All right, that's it for another episode. I hope you feel pepped out of your freaking mind. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our jingle theme music and, and soundtrack. Thanks to Connor Jones of Pending Beautiful for editing this show so beautifully. Massive thanks to Ryan Appleton, Katie Chandler, and Sophie Miller, a.k.a. Sophie Pizza, for content assistance and, and general assistance with the show week in and week out. And until we speak again, stay pepped up.